0: Welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Here's your host, the Bitcoin Boomer himself, Gary Leland. And welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, also known as the Bitcoin Boomer. Why? Well, it's obvious, I'm a boomer and I like Bitcoin. So the Bitcoin Boomer Show, not much of a surprise there. Now in this show, we really just try to educate you about Bitcoin. I find Bitcoin to be one of the most fascinating things that I've ever seen. You know, I got into uh, e-commerce back in 96. Everybody said, oh, that's a weird thing. No one's gonna buy stuff on the internet. It's hard to believe in hindsight people said that. But I started the wallpaper website, the first wallpaper website on the internet. And of course, people bought stuff on the internet. Back in 2004, I started podcasting. I'm now in the Podcast Hall of Fame. But when I started podcasting and told my friends about it, they said, Who'd listen to a podcast when you have a radio in your car? That's stupid. I said, no, no, this is much better. No, I'm not even interested in listening to podcasts or knowing anything about it. Now, everybody, it seems like, is listening to podcasts. So I have kind of a, a guide of a, a timeline of being a little bit ahead of the curve, is what the point I'm trying to put out here. I normally am a little ahead of the curve. When I got into Bitcoin in 2017, I felt I was kind of late and said, what happened? How was this out for so long? And I didn't know anything about it since Bitcoin came out in 2012. Well, guess what? I wasn't late and you are not late either. It's time to start learning about Bitcoin. Not trying to sell you any Bitcoin, but I am trying to educate you. And if you get educated enough that you decide to buy some Bitcoin, well, you may want to thank me later on. That's all I can say. Now, on today's show, we have Preston Pish. This is season three, episode one of season three. So, Stephanie, congratulations on making it to season three there. I can't believe we made it. Yay, we did it. <laughs> Yay, we did it. But see, episode one of season three, and we have Preston Pish. Preston Pish is a very smart guy. You'll enjoy meeting him and listening to his discussion about Bitcoin. Um, we're going to talk about. Bitcoin, maybe uh, we're gonna talk about what Bitcoin is, possibility of gold coming back as the gold standard, um, money in general, how it's affecting the world. So please stay tuned and come back after this commercial break we're getting ready to have. But before we do that, I wanna make sure you tell people about the show. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, anyone you think can benefit from this show. This is gonna be a great episode. We're gonna do some things we've never done before. On the Bitcoin Boomer show. So make sure that you stay with us. Anyone can benefit from Bitcoin. It just happens I'm the Bitcoin Boomer. That's why it's the Bitcoin Boomer show, not a show for Bitcoin Boomers. So stay tuned, come back right after this word from our sponsor for Preston Pish. See you then.
1: Love coming to BitBlock Boom because it's like it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like everybody here is like part of the hardcore, like inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where, like, you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. you come to BitBlockBoom once,
0: you're going to come every year. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, a.k.a. the Bitcoin Boomer and host of the Bitblock Boom Bitcoin Conference in Austin, Texas. Now, today we have a great guest on the show. A really, I would say a very smart person on the show. Um, one, of, one of the better guests I think we've had, a great guy, great talker, great Bitcoiner, he's a speaker. He um, is a fellow Bitcoiner and he runs the Investors Bitcoin Investors Podcast Network. Let me get that out straight, Investors Podcast Network. Let's welcome Preston Pish to the show. Preston, welcome to the show. I had a mouthful there, couldn't get all that out. I'm
1: sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Great to be here, and uh, thank you for the invite.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I watch your show on YouTube uh, YouTube videos, and I have to tell you, every time you're on the show, my wife, Kathy, you've met Kathy, she always walks by, if she walks by the TV, she goes, that guy is so good looking. So uh, my wife thinks you're a looker, (laughs) just to let you know. And she was even more impressed that you graduated from West Point. Um, But tell us a little bit, just a short bio on yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So right out of high school, went to West Point and uh, majored in aerospace engineering. I really like math. And so that was kind of the perfect fit for me. I liked aviation. I wanted to do something in aviation and I liked math. So I did aerospace engineering naturally. Um, after that, I went to flight school, uh, you have a, a term of service that you do after you graduate from West Point. So I was in the military, um, became a pilot, I flew Apaches, uh, did two deployments to Afghanistan. And uh, while I was in the military, the, the itch for just math and uh, enjoying those t- engineering type things. Kind of uh, transitioned into a love for finance and a love for investing, and uh, I really latched on to Warren Buffett. Uh, he had kind of a mathematical way to to figure out what he thought the value of a company was relative to uh, U.S. Treasuries as kind of like a benchmark hurdle rate for uh, getting returns in the market, and so that. That approach really kind of resonated with me and I, I just loved it. And I started to create content and media around it. This is when YouTube was you know, just becoming a thing. Um, podcasting was just starting. And so we would have uh, one of my friends, uh, Stig Broderson, who I met through uh, forums and just conversations about Warren Buffett style investing. We started creating media and content around that idea and talking about different stock investing picks that we had. And uh, eventually that led me to Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, that's how, we, that's how we met then, Gary, was through Bitcoin.
0: Yes, that was how we met through Bitcoin. And uh, we've seen each other at a lot of Bitcoin events and we'll see each other at a lot more. As I said, a uh, person speaking at uh, Bitblock Boom, we'll see each other in Miami. We see each other quite a bit there for, um, we should be better friends than we are. We should be on each other's uh, list of phone calls <laughs> once a day or something. So tell me more details about, uh, how you actually learned about Bitcoin. What was your orange pill moment, I guess, is is how it's phrased. Um, I know you were interested in yes. math and money, but how did that happen?
1: Well, so when you're doing uh, valuations on businesses, this Buffett style of investing, you have to figure out what you think the intrinsic value of the company is. And so you're doing, you know, you're, you're looking at the free cash flows of the company. You're, you're performing economic calculation. And you're saying, I think this stock might be worth $30 a share or whatever it is based off of discounting those future free cash flows. And as I was doing this math and studying other great investors, I started studying Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio has, um, he, he's very similar to Buffett in how he values equity, but he also uh, looks at the macro, uh, global macro site picture. And part of that is understanding currencies, and part of that is understanding whether currencies are debasing uh and maybe outpacing what the published inflation rates are, and ideas like that, which Buffett never talks about. so as I started studying uh Ray Dalio, you know probably net worth in the twenty billion range or something like that, very, very smart investor, the you know the founder of Bridgewater, which is one of the biggest hedge funds in the world um when I studied that approach, I started understanding how gold was actually a small part of his investment thesis in order to protect against currency debasement. Um, this uh, idea, as I started looking at it and I started doing these valuations again, after considering how currency debasement kind of plays into things, it really gave me a profound insight, or, you know, to change my investing approach and to also incorporate some of these ideas that Ray Dalio was incorporating. This is at a time where the US government was implementing quantitative easing, which is basically the manipulation of uh, bond prices and interest rates uh, through that action. This happened ever since the 2008 crisis. Um, It made me look at the way I was valuing stocks and equity much differently as well. And so this all led me to seeing Bitcoin as a solution to this global race to debase currency and um, probably uh, being really suspect of whether gold could could step back in on a global scale and fulfill a peg to all these currencies because they're incentivized to debase them and manipulate their GDP uh, numbers. And so um, as I was looking at that, and I was looking at the decentralized nature of Bitcoin and how nobody can control it, um, I started looking at it and saying, I think this might be how all of this uh market manipulation starts to get uh remedied or or fixed on a global scale. And so that, I came to this realization around like the 2015 timeframe. That's whenever I bought my first Bitcoin based on this thesis. And ever since I've uh just grown in the conviction of of how important uh Bitcoin really is, because I mean the price back then was $220, was my first buy. And um, I remember looking at prices in excess of a thousand, thinking like that would be a a real win uh, for this investment. But then, as you know, I continued to see the macro backdrop of interest rates and how they're trying to manipulate the the quantitative easing even quantitative easing even more than what they were doing initially. Uh, my thesis for Bitcoin just continued to ex- expand and and get more profound.
0: You know. You got in at a great time, but I don't think there's ever a bad time to get in, you know, as far as that goes. But a question I have a lot of people say to me or a statement that people make to me is, you know, it's just, I just feel like I'm too late. So I'm asking you, when you bought in at $200 in 2015, they just kind of go, gosh, I'm getting in kind of late. I mean, cause that's what I always say. Everybody thinks they're getting in late. You know, people who got in at $100 said I could have got in at 50 cents we got a $500 so and I could have got in at yeah. $50. Did you feel that way to a degree that you were getting in kind of late, but you knew you had to do it?
1: I have friends that have bought sub, you know, $5 and I'm very jealous of them. You, <laughs> um, But that doesn't mean that I'm late. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when you're looking at this and you're saying, well, what could be the market cap that this could could grow to. I I agree with billionaire Michael Saylor and many other really smart investors that say that they think that the market cap could be in excess of $100 trillion. So uh, when we look at the market cap today and it's sub $1 trillion. Um, that for me, is uh that's the asymmetric return that continues to exist. So are you late? Of course, you're not late if if there's a hundred x upside that potentially still exists there. people might be curious like how you get there and really it comes down to the the uh, and the deep impairment in the credit markets and and debt markets that would cause it to to go there, um which we can talk about in more depth if if you want to go there, but that would that's the underlying thesis of how it could could go a hundred X from where we're at right now.
0: Well, as my wife is always telling me, she just wish we weren't so damn old (laughs) because she believes she just doesn't know if we'll make it to the promised land or if we'll be sitting in a home with a drool cup and having tons of Bitcoin that we don't even know what it is anymore. So that's the situation on there. You know, um, Ray Dalio, we don't have much time for this, but he made a video maybe about a year ago, I think, about showing the world's uh, different powers that have come and gone over the years, which I thought was a great video. Um, We only have 20 seconds for this. What was your thought real quick on that video? And that's short timing, we may have to go
1: back to this. Um, I I think it's really good. Yeah, I think he has some really good theses on just like how the interplay between nation states evolve through monetary policy and through the way that the money changes. Um, but I disagree with Ray on uh, how he sees China kind of emerging as a global power, like you did with the with the U.S. Call it eighty to hundred years ago. Um, and I think what he's missing with that.
0: Okay, well we'll go back up uh, with
1: that when we get back, right
0: from this with this word from our sponsors. I've been on vacation too long, I think, Stephanie. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm Gary Leland, the host of today's show. We're joined today by Preston Pish, And I do want to tell you, if you know anyone interested in Bitcoin, please tell them about this show. Tell them about this episode. This is going to be a great show, great episode, and we're having a great season, season three, actually. Preston, welcome back to the show. I'm sorry I gave you... 30 seconds to answer that question about that video. I just watched that video, not recently, a good while ago, I guess about a year ago. And I thought it was a great, I thought there were a lot of things in that video that were really, were like, wow, look at these timelines and things like that. And so um, before I so rudely interrupted you, you were saying you had a problem with his thoughts on China?
1: Yeah, I mean, so Ray has has a couple different like big theses that have been uh, shared publicly. The first one that I think is really important for people to to if you're going to Google something or go on YouTube and watch something, there's there's a video that Ray made. It's a 30 minute video. It's it's called How the Economic Machine Works. This video is very uh, inspiring to me to kind of understand how credit markets work and how the global economy functions. And uh I think that that's important for people to watch in order to also understand how Bitcoin might be a really important role moving forward in the coming ten to twenty years. The video that I think you're talking about, Gary, uh relates more to um how he sees nation states kind of uh the roles kind of changing where the u s is going to have a a lesser role compared to to China and maybe some other countries moving forward. and in that, I think I think ray my personal opinion is is that ray is overestimating the power that china is going to to wield in the coming you know 20 to, to 40 years moving forward and i think a lot of it comes down to bitcoin's role uh as a global settlement layer as opposed to the chinese yuan being that global settlement layer
0: so the two of those i, I you know i had considered or gone through my mind the power China would have, but I didn't put into my mind the uh, wand compared to Bitcoin, how Bitcoin would uh, be the replacement currency, maybe, of the world. So speaking on that, in your opinion or your brainwave, your way of thinking, what is Bitcoin? That's something I ask everybody. What is Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, I think the best way to, to describe it versus what they think they know today. So like when you have a dollar bill or you look at your checking account and you see that there's, uh, and I'm going to use this number on purpose. Let's say you have, you go into your bank account and there's $500,000 in your bank account. Only 250,000 of that is actually insured by the government. So if that bank would fail. Technically, by the definitions and the rules that the government has in place, you should lose $250,000 of that $500,000 because the bank mishandled your cash. And so people that hear that are saying, how is that even possible? It's my money. It's, it's on deposit at the bank. Well, actually, it's not. Like, There's counterparty risk with currency. It's supposed to be backed by something. It's not. Um, it used to be backed by gold where you could go into a bank and you can say, hey, here's $10,000, give me $10,000 worth of gold in exchange. That's not how it works anymore. They're just made up numbers in a ledger that the Federal Reserve can you know, type on some keys and they can add some more units. They can remove the units. Um, in fact, that's what basically 2022 was, was them trying to remove the, the units in the, in the system so that they could uh, get inflation under control. Bitcoin, on the other hand like the digital units that you see in the checking account there's only so many of them there's a fixed supply of those digital units and this is reinforced by people running full nodes which is completely decentralized all around the world and everybody that's using the system is incentivized to not add more units into the system uh unlike the the legacy system where this central bank entity can go in there and say oh we're going to add another billion units into the system, or a trillion units into the system, which is what they did during COVID. Um, Under Bitcoin, you can't do that. And so what it does is it garners this system where everybody can exchange and everybody can actually trust one another that there's no outside entity that can play political favor or uh, make up more units and stuff those units into the hands of people that are their friends or that they think should, should have more because of whatever policy. It's just a fair system, and so I like to refer to Bitcoin as freedom money because nobody can take it from you. Nobody can say that all oh, the bank mismanaged man- it. Um, it's yours, and so when you settle with it, if I sent Gary some Bitcoin right now, if he held up a QR code on his on his phone, I could literally zap him Bitcoin right over this uh, video link that that we're talking through. He would receive it instantly, and there's nobody else that could take that Bitcoin from him once he receives it. And so it's a really profound technology. It's a really important technology for everybody to globally coordinate with one another without outside entities controlling and manipulating what that money is or determined how much of it is, is go- there's going to be.
0: Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm waiting for it, Preston. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh my, lo- okay, so d- is that a lightning address, uh, Gary? Hold it up. No, hold it up there. I'll send it right now. Send, put that Put that address up there. Let's demo this. Let me see if I can get the the barcode. I've got kind of a smaller screen.
0: <laughs>
1: what kind of wallet are you? Oh, that's <laughs> you got to hold it up closer to the camera. I can't get to the, the barcode. It's too small. Okay. 50, I'm, I,
0: I want this, I'm wanting this Bitcoin here.
1: There you go, right... You gotta still get oh there there it goes. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna send you ten thousand sats, which is about three dollars. Okay. Send. Let me know when you get it there, uh Gary. I will. This is the first time I've done it. Hopefully that. our demo works. We weren't even planning to the... do
0: <laughs> I uh yeah, this was off the cuff. We'll have to sit here a second, and it see goes. what happened. I gotta
1: Look at that right there. You yeah. sent them 10,000 sats which just $3. It. I could have sent you one penny. I could have sent you a half a penny. I could have sent you $10,000 and nobody would have known the difference or nobody can step in between that. And you can see it just happened real time. We did not even plan that. No,
0: um, actually, I didn't even know right if I'd get my wallet TV. open in time for, your, for you to get off the air. I mean, that's amazing how quickly <laughs> that works and how cheap that works. You know, Kathy last night was asking me how much it cost yeah. whenever I bought Bitcoin, what the percentage was. I said, oh, you about a point and a half, maybe. And she was going, I can't be that cheap. You know, cause she's used to running credit card business in the store. She's got, it's gotta be three and a half, 4%. Yeah, and I said, no, no, it's not. And so um, yeah. she was kind of amazed at that. So that's a perfect example of how Bitcoin well, works. Well, Gary, now.
1: so this is what's so important. Yeah, this is this is really important. So like you used to own a business, right? Anytime somebody would come in and swipe their card, you had to pay the, the frictional cost to use that card, which is anywhere from like two and a half to almost 3% of the transaction. So if somebody came in and bought $100 worth of sporting goods, right, you lost $3 on the transaction. So me spe- me sending you $3 right now and there being no friction is, is crazy. And it immediately settled. You didn't have to wait three days to get it.
0: And that doesn't count the amount of loss that I had from people using bad credit cards or saying that it wasn't their credit card. And I would have tracking information to their house sometimes and I yeah. still lost the case. And so I would lose $500 yeah. off a sale where I did everything right, you know, so. That is a, is, yeah. is as big a point to me if you're a retailer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just when, when you see it happen, the fact that, that those funds immediately settled as we were talking just on the cuff, you know, <laughs> recording this. Um, I'm, you I'm have never those done funds that. and now you could literally go to, you could go to anybody else in the room you're sitting at right now. They could pull up a, a barcode and you could send the same 10,000 sats that I just gave you to them. Right, instantaneously, the settlement's already complete. Um, this is what's this is what's so profound about Bitcoin for people who don't understand. If you think that this technology is not going to be used, and there's no more than 21 million Bitcoin that are ever going to be created, no central entity can come in and make more. I'm sorry, you just don't understand where everything's moving in the world. Right, it's just really that simple.
0: Well, I think also with younger people, I mean, I have people, older people all the time telling me that we're going to go back to the gold standard someday. We got to go back to the gold standard, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but these younger people, they don't want to go back to a gold standard. They don't want anything to do with gold. They want to use technology because they grew up well, with technology.
1: This is, this is really important for people to get that are listening to this. The reason the gold standard failed is because it requires trust. It requires trust for central planners to say, hey, there's 10,000 ounces of gold back here in the vault, okay? And because there's 10,000 ounces of gold back there, we're going to create 20,000 paper currency units that can be exchanged for those 10,000 ounces of gold back there.
0: Preston, we're, so we're going to have to catch you off and be right back with that, okay? Sorry. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Grandpa. Why do you have so much Bitcoin?
1: Well, it all started in the year 2023 when I attended a conference called BitBlockBoom.
0: What's BitBlockBoom,
1: Grandpa? It was a conference where people talked about Bitcoin. This was way back when we used something called the US dollar for money. What? Bitcoin wasn't always the world's money? If it weren't for great speakers at BitBlockBoom like Jimmy Song, Adam Curry and Preston Pish, we'd all be living in pods and eating bugs. Instead I was able to avoid fiat enslavement and secure generational wealth.
0: F***ing legend! be the legend your grandchildren deserve. Experience the best Bitcoin conference out there and join the Bitcoin revolution. BitBlockBoom, the only conference for true Bitcoin maximalists. Book your tickets today at bitblockboom.com and use the code BBB1 for a special discount. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Gary Leland here, joined by Preston Pish. Preston, sorry I had to cut you off there, dude. But let's continue the conversation on the gold coming back and having a new gold standard. I mean, which is like, I don't know, what would the what would the dollar? I mean, the, I mean, that just couldn't happen. I don't see that could happen. Let's continue though.
1: What we were talking about before the break is just this idea of trust. And if you have a ledger that you're looking at gold in a vault and you're putting paper currency on top of that to represent the gold in the vault, um, a person, an entity, a central planning entity can continue to adjust the ledger of how many paper units represent the gold. And so even though you're on a gold backing, it still requires... Individuals to say this is how much uh, paper units represent that gold. With Bitcoin, you don't have that. There's, tw- there's going to be 21 million. That's it. You can't make more. Um, if you hold one of those, you know, today the value is $30,000 for one Bitcoin, which is 100 million Satoshis. Earlier, I sent you 10,000 of those Satoshis. Um, and there's only so many of them. And so I don't have to trust a person to manage a ledger. I just know that there can't be any more of those because of all the full nodes and, and the mining rigs that secure the network and, and all of that. Um, you know it's, it's completely decentralized. No person can come in and, and change that. So it's, it's groundbreaking technology. Michael Saylor would say things like it's, it's the equivalent of discovering the power of fire itself, um, and it's just going to take some people to wrap their. It's going to take time for people to wrap their head around how profound the technology is.
0: You know, Michael Saylor one time told me he, when he wrote his book uh, about the iPhone and all that technology coming that he made a mistake. He just wrote a book and stuff about it. And he promised himself if that kind of technology ever came out again, he was going to go all in, which I guess is basically what he's done, um, is gone all in. I mean, that yep. guy is buying, you know, not only does that guy have diamond hands, he's buying all the way down like I did when it was smaller amounts with giant amounts. That guy... That guy's got big brass. I, that's all I can say. And then now I see where Fidelity, Bank of America are buying his stock like no tomorrow, MicroStrategies. I mean, they just bought like $75 million worth. So obviously he's making the right move, which I thought was uh, the right move to begin with. And in total openness, I bought his stock as soon as he got into Bitcoin. Um, so to make sure P- I'm talking about, it, I want to be upfront with people about it. So I'm a big. Micro strategies and Michael Saylor fan. I want to talk about uh, money real quick. What do you think of the current state of the money? And do we need to be concerned about uh, things like BRICS coming out, the BRICS Nations money, uh, the petrodollar ending since Saudi Arabia supposedly just bought some oil, uh, sold oil to China using the Yuan? What are the concerns there?
1: Well, you know, for the last 40 years, it's it's the the dollar system, the petrodollar system has worked really well for the world. And the reason that it's worked so well is because as interest rates go down, uh, the value of debt and credit and bonds goes up. And so for 40 years, I'm sure you can remember, Gary, going back into the early 1980s, you had interest rates at 16%. And ever since if we could plot it on a chart for the last 40 years, you would see those interest rates just kept going systematically lower and lower and lower and lower. It was like a perfectly straight line, uh, a little bit of volatility here and there, but the 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 yields just kept going down. And so what does that mean for somebody who's sitting on long duration debt in, in these bonds? It means the value of those bonds just kept going up for 40 years. So as we're conducting trade and we have a uh, uh, net I'm sorry, as we're conducting trade with other countries and we're exchanging these dollars for their goods, their commodities, and they're receiving these dollars and then they're buying treasuries with it, those treasuries just kept going up in value. So they had no problem with this system. Everybody liked this system. You can build on top of a system where the value just keeps going up like that. But once you compress those rates through the manipulation of the money itself, and it got really aggressive in the past 10 years with the quantitative easing, like we talked about earlier. Um, Once you compress those yields to literally 0%, and then you start to see inflation, all of a sudden, all those bonds that, that the world's sitting on, all those treasuries aren't going up in value. They're going down in value. And so that's why you're seeing the BRICS nations wanting to have exchange because they're net producers, where the West is pretty much all net consumers. Um, the net producers are saying, uh, if you want us to give you oil, if you want us to give you raw materials, if you want us to give you anything, we're not going to accept these digital units that you say are are, are money because we know that they're going to continue to get debased and lose value in the, in the bond market's going to reflect that as those yields chase after inflation. You're going to have to exchange in our currency. Now, the problem that they got, uh, the BRICS nation's is people like me and other people from the West don't trust their, their currency either, or whatever they're saying that their units are going to be. And so we're opting out of both of these systems and we're saying we will own Bitcoin because neither one of these entities can, can control the, the monetary units, the number of units that are in Bitcoin. So I think that's how it's going to play out. I think they're going to they're try their best in order to stand up their own currency. They might have a little bit of success early on, but I think with a long enough time horizon, Bitcoin's going to chew through both. Of these entities the petrodollar system and the and the BRICS nations uh with how the world views global settlement
0: so do you see a time when let's say saudi arabia starts saying hey we're tired of messing with all this currency we just want you to start paying us in bitcoin
1: yeah i think that that's where this is naturally going to go um I think they're incentivized to not go there right now. They're incentivized to try to uh, stand up their own form of currency, because if they stand up their own form of currency and they say it's backed by gold, or they can just say it's backed by their commodities, um, that they can then debase it and and adjust that ledger however they see, which gives them a a competitive advantage on the global uh, stage with respect to manipulating currencies, just like the US has done for the last 40, 40 years, US, Euro, uh japan um so i think they're incentivized to try to stand up their own currency but i think with enough time uh there nobody in the world's going to trust that ledger just like they don't trust the the western ledgers today and in the end everybody's just going to kind of go to to bitcoin which is backed by uh encrypted energy
0: so is bitcoin money of course yeah I have some people who, who yeah, not, that hasn't been the answer. Some people that's why I asked that, you know, uh, some people have said, <laughs> well, well, no, know, it's I not can, money.
1: I can, I can go take one Bitcoin and exchange it for a car. I might have to convert it into something for whoever the, the person is that's selling me the car, but I can do that within, you know, I can do that within a morning. So yeah, I'd say it's money.
0: Yeah, no, I, I have to agree also that it's money, um, you know, I see a point where I agree with you that there'll be a certain point in time when Bitcoin, even if we just reach the value of the valuation of the gold, you know, uh, as amount as the market cap of gold. I mean, that's $500,000 per Bitcoin, just if we reach the market cap of gold, I believe, if I'm correct. So I think that getting into a lot of things, number one, we're never too late which we both agreed earlier. Number two, it's got a long ways to go. Number three, more people are gonna have faith in that because there's no one there to manipulate it and devaluate it.
1: Absolutely. And, and just using gold as your benchmark, right, Gary? So like gold's market cap is ten thousand $10 trillion, maybe 15 trillion now. Um, it's somewhere in that range. And so Bitcoin's like sub one trillion. So just using that as a, as a conservative estimate uh, you're 10x where we're at right now on the price to to have parity with the gold market cap. So when I look at Bitcoin and I look at how usable it is relative to gold, like we just zapped it through the screen earlier in this show. Good luck trying to settle. You know, if I let's say I sent you a five thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin through the screen, good luck trying to do that with gold in a way that it's secure. Like, how long would it take for for the gold to arrive to you? Uh, down in Texas, Gary, if I was going to send you $10,000 worth of gold? And how would I have to secure that? What would the cost be for me to secure it down, uh, getting down to you? like There's such a leap in technology between settlement and gold and Bitcoin that it's it's somewhat laughable. So I guess the case that I'm trying to make there is I think Using gold as a basis for where the, mark, or where the market cap of, of Bitcoin may go, I think, is definitely a super conservative estimate because I think the programmability of it and the utility of it is in far excess of what gold ever offered the world.
0: I always say that if you were someone who was like fleeing Hong Kong or someplace like that and you had your gold, you really can't take it with you. I mean, there's no way you're going to take 10 pounds of gold with you on a plane or get past customs or anything. Where well, you can remember your password, C phrase, and get out of town with all your wealth with Bitcoin. So that's a big difference is the fact that you, it's your money. You're your own bank. But a lot of people are scared of that. And we'll go over that in just a moment when we come back with Preston Pish. after a word from our sponsors. Stay tuned and tell your friends.
1: Welcome to the Bitcoin Conference Challenge. Today, we're teleporting Bitcoiners like you to two different Bitcoin conferences, and you'll get to experience them firsthand. Let's take you to conference A.
0: Hmm, it's okay. Some interesting speakers and workshops, but there's a foul odor in the air. What is that smell?
1: Interesting, now let's take you to conference B.
0: Wow, this one is amazing. The atmosphere is electric, the speakers are great, and the workshops are fantastic. Ah, and the smell. It's so nice to fill your lungs with freedom.
1: Congratulations. You've just experienced the difference between a Bitcoin shitcoin conference and BitBlockBoom, the longest running Bitcoin only conference. Book your tickets today at bitblockboom.com and use the code BBB1 for a special discount. Hello,
0: and welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, AKA the Bitcoin Boomer and host of the BitBlockBoom Bitcoin Conference in Austin, Texas. Now, today, we have a great guest on the show, a really, I would say, a very smart person on the show, um, one, of, one of the better guests I think we've had, a great guy, great talker, great Bitcoiner. He's a speaker. He um, is a fellow Bitcoiner, and he runs the investors Bitcoin Investors podcast network let me get that out straight investors podcast network let's welcome preston pitch to the show preston welcome to the show i had a mouthful
1: there couldn't get all that out i'm sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) great to be here and uh thank you for the invite
0: yeah i appreciate you coming on the show um i watch your show on youtube when uh youtube videos and i have to tell you every time you're on the show My wife, Kathy, you've met Kathy. She always walks by, if she walks by the TV, she goes, that guy is so good looking. So uh, my wife thinks you're a looker, (laughs) just to let you know. (laughs) And she was even more impressed that you graduated from West Point. Um, But tell us a little bit, just a short bio on yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... Right out of high school, went to West Point and uh, majored in aerospace engineering. I really like math. And so that was kind of the perfect fit for me. I liked aviation. I wanted to do something in aviation and I liked math. So I did aerospace engineering naturally. Um, After that, I went to flight school. Uh, You have a, a term of service that you do after you graduate from West Point. So I was in the military. Um, became a pilot. I flew Apaches. Uh, did two deployments to Afghanistan. And uh, while I was in the military, the the itch for just math and uh, enjoying those t- engineering type things kind of uh, transitioned into a love for finance and a love for investing. And uh, I really latched on to Warren Buffett. Uh, he had kind of a mathematical way to to figure out what he thought the value of a company was relative to uh, U.S. Treasuries as kind of like a benchmark hurdle rate for uh, getting returns in the market. And so that that approach really kind of resonated with me, and I I just loved it. And I started to create content and media around it. This is when YouTube was you know just becoming a thing. Um, podcasting was just starting, and so we would have uh, one of my friends, uh, Stig Brodersen, who I met through uh, forums and just conversations about Warren Buffett style investing. We started creating media and content around that idea and talking about different stock investing picks that we had, and uh, eventually that led me to Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, that's how we that's how we met. Then Gary it was through Bitcoin.
0: Yes, that was how we met through Bitcoin and uh, we've seen each other at a lot of Bitcoin events and we'll see each other at a lot more. As I said, uh, person speaking at uh, BitBlockBoom, we'll see each other in Miami. We see each other quite a bit there. For um, We should be better friends than we are. We should be on each other's uh, list of phone calls once a day or something. So tell me more details about uh, how you actually learned about Bitcoin. What was your orange pill moment, I guess, is, is how it's phrased. Um, I know you were interested in yeah. math and money, but how would that happen?
1: Well, so when you're doing uh, valuations on businesses, this Buffett style of investing, you have to figure out what you think the intrinsic value of the company is, and so you're doing, you know, you're you're looking at the free cash flows of the company. You're you're performing economic calculation. And you're saying, I think this stock might be worth thirty dollars a share or whatever it is, based off of discounting those future free cash flows. And as I was doing this math and studying other great investors, I started studying Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio has, um, he's very similar to Buffett in how he values equity, but he also uh, looks at the macro, uh, global macro site picture. And part of that is understanding currencies. And part of that is understanding whether currencies are debasing uh and maybe outpacing what the published inflation rates are and ideas like that, which Buffett never talks about. so as I started studying uh Ray Dalio, you know probably net worth in the 20 billion range or something like that, very, very smart investor, the you know the founder of Bridgewater, which is one of the biggest hedge funds in the world um. When I studied that approach, I started understanding how gold was actually a small part of his investment thesis in order to protect against currency debasement. Um, this uh, idea, as I started looking at it and I started doing these valuations again, after considering how currency debasement kind of plays into things, it really gave me a profound insight or you know, to change my investing approach and to also incorporate some of these ideas that Ray Dalio was incorporating. This is at a time where the US government was implementing quantitative easing, which is basically the manipulation of uh, bond prices and interest rates uh, through that action. This happened ever since the 2008 crisis. Um, It made me look at the way I was valuing stocks and equity much differently as well. And so this all led me to seeing Bitcoin as a solution to this global race to debase currency. And um, probably uh, being really suspect of whether gold could could step back in on a global scale and fulfill a peg to all these currencies because they're incentivized to debase them and manipulate their GDP uh, numbers. And so um, as I was looking at that, and I was looking at the decentralized nature of Bitcoin and how nobody can control it. Um, I started looking at it and saying, I think this might be how all of this uh market manipulation starts to get uh remedied or or fixed on a global scale. And so that, I came to this realization around like the 2015 timeframe. That's whenever I bought my first Bitcoin based on this thesis. And ever since I've uh just grown in the conviction of of how important uh, Bitcoin really is, because I mean the price back then was $220, was my first buy. And um, I remember looking at prices in excess of a thousand, thinking like that would be a, a real win uh, for this investment. But then, as you know, I continued to see the macro backdrop of interest rates and how they're trying to manipulate the the quantitative easing even quantitative easing even more than what they were doing initially, uh, my thesis for Bitcoin just continued to ex- expand and and get more profound.
0: You know, you got in at a great time, but I don't think there's ever a bad time to get in, you know, as far as that goes. But a question I have a lot of people say to me or a statement that people make to me is, you know, it's just, I just feel like I'm too late. So I'm asking you, when you bought in at $200 in 2015, they just kind of go, gosh, I'm getting in kind of late. I mean, because that's what I always say, everybody thinks they're getting in late. You know, people who got in at $100 said I could have got in at 50 cents we got $500 so and I could have got in at yeah. $50. Did you feel that way to a degree that you were getting in kind of late, but you knew you had to do it?
1: I have friends that have bought sub, you know, $5 and I'm very jealous of them. You, <laughs> um, But that doesn't mean that I'm late. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when you're looking at this and you're saying, well, what could be the market cap that this could could grow to. I I agree with billionaire Michael Saylor and many other really smart investors that say that they think that the market cap could be in excess of $100 trillion. So uh, when we look at the market cap today and it's sub $1 trillion, um, that for me is uh, that's the asymmetric return that continues to exist. So, are you late? Of course, you're not late. If, if there's a hundred x upside that potentially still exists, there, people might be curious, like how you get there. And really, it comes down to the the uh, and the deep impairment in the credit markets and and debt markets that would cause it to to go there, um, which we can talk about in more depth if if you want to go there. But that would that's the underlying thesis of how it could could go a hundred X from where we're at right now.
0: Well, as my wife is always telling me, she just wish we weren't so damn old (laughs) because she believes she just doesn't know if we'll make it to the promised land or if we'll be sitting in a home with a drool cup and having tons of Bitcoin that we don't even know what it is anymore. So that's the situation on there. You know, um, Ray Dalio, we don't have much time for this, but he made a video maybe about a year ago, I think, about showing the world's uh, different powers that have come and gone over the years, which I thought was a great video. Um, We only have 20 seconds for this. What was your thought real quick on that video? And that's short timing. We may have to go back to
1: this. Um, I I think it's really good. Yeah, I think he has some really good theses on just like how the interplay between nation states evolve through monetary policy and through the way that the money changes. Um, but I disagree with Ray on uh, how he sees China kind of emerging as a global power, like you did with the with the U.S. Call it eighty to hundred years ago. Um, and I think what he's missing with that. Okay, well we'll go back
0: up uh, with that when we get back, right from this with this word from our sponsors. I've been on vacation too long, I think, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome back. Probably thought I was gone, huh? <laughs> well, not quite. We do have a little bit of a wrap up here. But that was such a great show with Preston. Preston's a great guy. And I was pretty cool that we showed you an example of him sending me Bitcoin and instantaneously I received the Bitcoin. I mean, I just thought that was a great example of the technology behind Bitcoin and how it works and why people see so much advantage to it. So, uh, I do hope you've learned something from that, if nothing else. Also, want to tell you to check out my conference at BitBlockBoom. It's at BitBlockBoom.com. It's a conference that I do every year in Austin, Texas. This is our sixth year, and every year we've sold out. So I'm sure we're going to sell out again this year. So go to BitBlockBoom.com. The conference is at the end of August. Also, check out my meetup group, BitBlockBoom meetup group. Uh, we have two meetups, one in Dallas and one in Fort Worth every month, but also this year during uh, Bitcoin Miami, the big conference down there, I'm doing two coffee meetups in the mornings. So any place I go, I try to do a meetup. So go to meetup.com bitblockboom, join the group, no telling when I'm gonna to come to your town and do a coffee meetup one morning. So check that out for sure. Another thing I do want to tell you about is a book I wrote recently with some friends of mine. Eight of us got together for a week in Austin, Texas, stayed in one place, and worked about 12 hours a day writing a book and compiled Bitcoin and the American Dream in a week. So this is a great book. Matter of fact, we released the book in Washington, D.C., up at the Capitol with Senator Lummis. So this is a great book. It's you can read it on a plane. It doesn't take a long time to read, but it is so educational. So if you have uh, someone who you know that's interested in Bitcoin or you think needs to understand Bitcoin, please check out BitcoinandtheAmericanDream.com and see. Get yourself a copy or a copy. I know people who bought 20 copies and just give them away, you know, to people. So check that out. Also, I want to make sure you know about SatsCardShop.com. SatsCardShop.com is a place to buy Sats cards. This is a great way to give Bitcoin away, whether it's Christmas presents or birthday presents. You can actually put your Bitcoin on the Sats card and give it away as a stocking stuffer or something. Great, great invention. So check out SatsCardShops.com. Follow me on Twitter. On Twitter, I'm Gary Leland. Gary Leland about everywhere. So check that out. And do come back next week and join us on the Bitcoin Boomer Show for, uh, I say, Doug Brews Coffee is on here. But we're not going to be talking about coffee. So I don't know why he goes by the name Doug Brews Coffee. So we'll see you then. And thank you once again for joining us on the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Have a good one. Stack those sats.